You're listening to a sermon podcast from Agape Baptist Church, recorded live from our Sunday service. Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading is taken from Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 7, to chapter 2, verse 7. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, where do you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon? For why should I be like the one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? If you do not know, O most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and the pasture of your young goats beside the shepherd's tent. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments and your neck with strings of jewels. We will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. While the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of mirth that lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are like doves. Behold, you are beautiful, my love, truly delightful. Our couch is green. The beams of our house are cedar. Our rafters are pine. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. As a lily among brambles, so is my love among young women. As an apple tree amongst the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among young men. With great delight I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord bless you, church. Can we say that again? The Lord bless you, church. That's better. It's good to see you again, the house of the Lord today. This is really a privilege and honor. We don't, like what Tom says, we don't take this for granted. The very fact that we are able to gather here in this number is really uh, remarkable. And we give praise to the Lord for that. Continue to pray for our city. Uh, continue to pray that the number of cases will go down and that, uh, that, that the city will continue to open up. Uh, this is a second sermon in the series on the, the Song of Songs. I call it Songs of the Heart. And we are calling this today's sermon, How to Use Words to, uh, or Using Words to Power Your Relationships. Um, we all know this experientially, that what we say matters. That the right words matter. Uh, we kind of know this at the back of our mind. We know this experientially. Uh, spoken words have infused life and that they build us up, they encourage us. Uh, we also know that when people have spoken the wrong words to us, uh, that we have been torn down by those words. Uh, some of us would still remember some of the, some of the, the things that the words that uh, the parents and, and authority figures have used on us, have spoken to us, some often repeatedly, and they have They've kind of torn us down and these words have become a part of our lives, has become a part of us. And in the same vein, 
we also know that uh, those people that we have respected and looked up to, and they could have said something positive, and that in some way has shaped our lives, and we remember them to this day. So we know this experientially, that words matter, but we also know that words matter theologically. The doctrine of, of, of creation will say that God spoke into the existence, that God spoke and it was, that the galaxies were formed by His very Word. That means, that again shows us that words really matter. The Bible itself is God's revealed Word to us. We are born again when we take the Word of the Gospel by faith. And our whole eternity, our eternal destination changes because by faith we receive the written Word. So theologically, words matter. Biblically, words matter. In fact, the whole Bible is filled with commands and instruction on how we should be speaking. I mean, pretty much of the book of, uh, of, of, of Proverbs, for example, is talking about how we should speak. For example, this is just one of the many verses in Proverbs that talks about speech and talks about words. Uh, it says the, in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life and the mouth of the wicked brings ruin near. And then you go, you have verse upon verse upon verse that tells you how you can be one, the righteous, or how you could be the other, which is the wicked, just by the use of words. And then Jesus would say this uh, in, in Matthew chapter Chapter 12, he says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every callous word they say. So experientially, words matter. Theologically, words matter. Biblically, words matter. And in the church, words matter. The church is meant to build one another up with our words. We're instructed throughout the New Testament that we disciple one another with our words. We speak, the word, the, the, we, we speak the truth in love to one another. And then over and over again, we are commanded in the New Testament not to gossip, not to slander, not to use words to tear one another da down. So, so much of, the, of church life is about what we say. So, words are very important. Words matter. Language, speech, communication, they matter. It's one of the things that separates us from animals. There's a good book out there that's called The Kingdom of Speech. It's written by a guy by the name of Tom Wolfe, who isn't a Christian, but in the book he tears down Darwin's theory of evolution. And he says that the evolutionists have no explanation why human beings can speak and why animals cannot speak. And of course, we as Christians know the answer. The reason why uh, human beings can speak is because we were made in the image of God and God talks and so we talk and God communicates and so we communicate and so people words matter with all these things that I just mentioned to you but they unbelievably matter and this is where we bring down to what we're going to talk about today they especially matter when it pertains to our relationships your relationship with God is unbelievably affected by words. He speaks to us and we speak back in prayer. And of course, words matter in our marriage, in our relationships, in our romance, in our intimacy. These things are all affected by words. What we say, how we say them, when we say them. 
And so what we're going to do this morning, because words matter, is we're going to look at and focus on the words that the people in our text that we read this morning speak to one another in the songs. This communication between this couple and then this communication between the, the wife and the single girls and the effect that the words have on one another. So I'm going to divide the sermon up into three parts and I'm going to call it this way. Number one, the wife's negative self-image. And number two, the husband's positive response. And then finally, number three, the lessons for us. Now, we didn't read verse 5 and verse 6 this morning as the scripture was read, but Psalms chapter 1 and verse 5 goes this way. It says, we are looking at the first one, right? The wife's negative self-image. Now, here is the, bride, uh, is the bride, and she is now speaking to the girls. She's speaking to her single friends, the bridesmaids. And in verse 5 and verse 6, she says this, I am very dark, but lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, she's speaking to them, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I'm dark. She's almost shy about her complexion. She said, don't look at me because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. Her brothers were angry with her for some reason. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. So if words matter, people, then even, uh, even our words that we speak to ourselves matter. And you know that to be true of you, and I know that to be true of me, that we do speak to ourselves. And it's called self-talk. And self-talk matters. So she's saying here, I'm dark. And she probably said that to herself many, many times. She probably would look at the mirror or reflection of herself in those days, and she looked at herself and she wasn't happy with the way her complexion is, that she was dark. And this is negative self-talk that she had. I'm dark. I'm not as fair as those other women that don't have to work out there in the vineyards. I'm not as beautiful as them. And she must have talked about this to herself and now she's talking about this with her bridesmaids, with her friends. And she has this negative self-image about her skin. Now, this has nothing to do with race, okay? This is a Mediterranean woman with olive skin. She's already of dark complexion, but now she's sunburned by working in the sun. And in that culture in those days, tan skin was not a standard of beauty. Fair skin would be the standard of beauty. Because if you're fair skin, that means that you didn't have to go to work in the sun, which meant that you were wealthy. So only the wealthy didn't have to go to work and therefore they were not under the sun and therefore they remained fair. So what was beautiful in this culture was that, you know, that, that you are of fair skin. And so she's saying, look, I'm not like the rich girls who are fair and, and, and have beautiful skin and have time to take care of themselves. I am suntanned and I'm sunburned and I'm not beautiful as them. And she's working outside. And he says her brothers were angry with her. Now you're asking me, why are the brothers angry with her? I don't know. You see people, remember this is a song. It is not a story. And we don't need to know this kind of details. But somehow you look at her life, it's like a Cinderella's life. It's like a Cinderella story. Siblings that don't like her, manual labor, and she's working in the vineyard, and she's getting her hands dirty. 
And she says, but my own vineyard, I have not kept. What she's saying here is that I don't have time or the money to take care of myself, to get a pedicure, to get a facial, to wear nice clothes. I just can't do that. But then having said all of that, she also says she's lovely. Now, what does she mean by that? She recognizes something else. She said that maybe on the outside to, the, you know, to, to, to others, I don't, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not beautiful. But I know that inside of me, I'm a lovely person. You know, I, I, have, I have natural beauty. But she feels like she pales in comparison with the other women of the town, of the culture. Her, her self-perception of herself doesn't have that high-angle selfie look, that soft-filtered Instagram look. Her perception of herself is a negative body image. She got, she got some negative body image issues. And people, some of us, you know, we have these body image issues as well. And it could probably be because of the words that have been spoken to us by, by other people, especially people important to us. Significant people in our lives have spoken into our lives and made us feel ugly on the inside about ourselves. And words matter. Words are important. And some of you may have had a dad or a mom or a, or a boyfriend or a girlfriend who said something to you in their anger that totally crushed you in terms of, of the way that you viewed yourself or your body or your appearance. This is also true of wives. Some husbands, sometimes they make these little small remarks of their wife's weight. It's a very dangerous thing to do. To look at your wife and say, hey, you put on weight now. You know, and, and it somehow affects them, you know, especially when it comes from the, from the husband. I mean, and maybe as a wife, you've never told your husband how it affected you because you didn't want to be further shamed or because of insecurity, but yet those words, people, have affected the way that you view your body and your appearance, especially if it is repeated many times. People at the deepest level, this is really a worship issue. We worship the thing that we view in high regard. You know, and, and worship is something that needs to find expression. And so we look at Instagram and we see beautiful women uh, through their airbrush images and high-angled selfies and we look at that with worship. We say, wow. Do you know that the word worship is wow-ship? And every time you wow at something, you are in a sense worshipping it. You know, maybe not that serious. I mean, I'm not telling you don't say wow. Alright? I mean, but, but, you know, and we look at that, we look at th those things we worship and say, wow, I wish I could look like that. I wish I could look so happy. I wish I, had, I could look so young. You know how they look young or not? They go in Photoshop, okay? Alright? And, 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 and we express that worship in, in our own negative self-talk. It's self-talk. It's because words matter and it affects us. When Christian women compare themselves to other women, that is a cheap substitute to the worship of God. And, and you know why? Because you're finding, you're finding the beauty of another woman more beautiful than the beauty of God. And much of, of these comparisons are because of the words that people have spoken to you. And, 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 or your own words to yourself about how you think of yourself. And so, the, 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 the girl in, this, in our text, 
has got some body image issues. But what's cool about it is that she turns to her husband with them. This is the wonderful part. You know, she doesn't feel good about her complexion. But now she turns to her husband, she's secure in her marriage, and look at what she says in verse 7. She says in verse 7, in talking to her husband, she says that, um, am I verse 7? That's right. She says, tell me, whom you whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it to, to, to lie down at noon, for why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flock's of your companions. She's saying, why, why, why am I feeling so shy about myself in the presence of these other girls? Why do I have this low self-esteem about myself in the presence of these others? And you know what? That's where we come to the second part. And this is where... Um, did I... Okay. Uh, this is the, the, the husband's positive response. So every guy right now needs to just wake up and listen carefully and every wife needs to nudge him a little bit. All right? So, this is what she says. Here's her husband's positive response. This is what he says to what she's asking in verse 8. He says, If you do not know, O most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flocks and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tents. I compare you, my love, to the mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your necks are strung. Of uh, uh, strings, your neck with strings of jewels. And then the bridesmaids immediately jump into that and affirm what the husband is saying, and that is always a good thing. And they say in verse 11, we will, they volunteer, they volunteer and they say, we will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. She's, he's talking about, you know, some necklace around her neck and they are saying, oh, we'll give you more, we'll give you more, we'll make some more for you. People, I love this. You know, I love this because, you know, this whole, the, the vibe in this, let me just show you, is that there's a lot of teasing and there's a lot of playfulness. There's a lot of fun here. In verse 7, she says, Oh, you whom my soul loves. It's kind of like a Romeo and Juliet kind of language. You know, it is it's, 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 it's beautiful language. You know, these days we don't communicate like this anymore. I mean, if, you, if your husband comes to you and says, Oh, you whom my soul loves, maybe you would faint. You know, or you just go dizzy for a little while and wonder, Is this my husband? You know, you know we don't. These days, we communicate so much via text messaging and emojis. You know, we, we even tend to say, I love you with an emoji kiss and a heart. And that's supposed to tell the other person, I love you. You know, it, it's a kind of a thing. And to, we, we, do, we use symbols to express our love. The romance is, with words is all gone and replaced by these emojis. People, there is nothing like looking into the eyes of your spouse, holding them to you to sp and to speak these words, I love you. And then to move on to say, look at your eyes and, and your face. And, 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 and the, that's what the bride is saying here. She says that, you whom my soul loves. People, there's a kind of a depth there. There is a beauty to it. It, it, it will warm any husband's heart. It will melt any wife's heart. And so this, this soul whom she loves, she, she wants to know what he's doing for lunch. That's what she's asking. She's saying, where are you, honey? 
Are you pasturing your flo- the flocks? Where are you, my passionate one? Like, basically, she's saying in our language, do you have any lunch plans today? Do you want to, do you want to go to, out to lunch with me? Can we do lunch together? That's exactly what she's saying. Now, guys, when you get that kind of a phone call from your wife, when you are buried in your work, and your wife, you know, sends a message or calls you and say, where are you, honey? How about lunching together later today? What will be your response? I mean, are you going to be annoyed that your wife has suddenly interrupted you and said, hiya, you are, never tell me earlier. I mean, I'm, I'm now so busy. Another time. Lah. Is that how you respond? Or would you be trying to cancel all of your plans? It's like, I really, I know, I really hope that you are trying to cancel your plans and to, and to take up on your wife's offer. Because if you don't accept that invite, and if you don't have any legitimate reason to not accept that invite, and you don't, something is wrong in the relationship. There is a priority issue here. You should be cancelling whatever plans you have. You are, you, you are going home, you're picking up your wife, or she's meeting you somewhere, you're eating lunch together on that day. When she calls you on the phone with something like that. And that's exactly what's happening right here in our text. And so you have this kind of a playful thing that's happening here. And it is fun. I tell you why it's so, it, it, it's so important. People, marriage is hard. I mean, it's important to have some play in every marriage because marriage is so hard. And, and, that, and therefore, there's this kind of a play and teasing back and forth here that is really beautiful. Look at verse 8. When she asked him this question, why do I feel so veiled among the women? He begins by saying in verse 8, if you do not know, people, that's a kind of teasing. He is also becoming playful. And that vibe is important in a marriage because marriages are really hard. Life itself is hard. This pandemic is so hard. And if you want to, it's good for your own mental health that you and your spouse find space to play together. You see people, there's bills to pay and a house to take care of and you are raising kids who are constantly raising your blood pressure. Marriages and parenting are so hard. Life is hard. And into the hard space and difficult, stressful scenario, God provides an oasis in the marriage. It's called the friendship between the husband and the wife. And it's a secret private garden that is meant to be fun. It is the space where you both retreat away together from the stressful marriage and and, and family and let your head down and tease one another and get playful with one another. And so these two, this, this, this couple, they're being playful here. They're having fun. And too many of us, we think of romance as the sex act and we miss out on the other non-sexual intimacy and romance that is meant to be part of that, kind, that type of relationship. Now in verse 8, he's responding to her negative self-talk or her negative self-image. He says, 
Oh, you are, more, you, are, you are most beautiful among women. He calls her beautiful. He says, no, no, baby, you're beautiful. Put your Instagram away. Look at me. I'm talking to you. You are beautiful. Don't worry about what your mom has said. Don't worry about what your dad has said or what your friends are saying about you. Believe what I say. You are beautiful. And he responds to a negative self-image by encouraging her and building her up with words. And then in verse 9, he calls her a horse. And we suddenly wonder why. Because he says, I compare you, my love, to a mare. Now, what's happening here? First, you know, he builds her up and then he, he breaks her down. No, people. If you clearly understand, this is a compliment. I tell you why it's a compliment. Because a mare is a female horse. And he says, you are a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Now, Pharaoh's chariots would have been stallions. Strong male horses. And what he's saying is this. You know what, honey? You are a mare. You are hot around a bunch of male stallions. They go crazy for you. Can you imagine what that would do to her and to her self-esteem? Wow! In your eyes, I am so beautiful. You are so crazy for me. And his response negates her negative self-talk. Possibly her mom and her sisters and her brothers have shaped her her, her, her self-image negatively. And now he responds to that by wooing her and by loving her. And he does that with words and speaking to build her up with his words. Guys, listen up. You know, God is trying to show us something in the Song of Romance about how he designed your wife to function. And he's telling us that you know, universally, people, regardless of race, language, or religion, every wife needs your, her husband's positive words coming from, her heart, from his heart. She needs words of affirmation and encouragement. She needs you to build her up with words, not just money from a good job or an occasional bouquet of flowers. Those things are great, but there's nothing like words that cost no money, and especially coming from the heart of the husband. Now, to not to make a too big a jump here, salvation works that way too. There is a process to salvation, the progressive pattern of it. God, first of all, sets His love on us. The Bible says that we are predestined. He chooses us. And then He sets His love on us. The next step in salvation is that He calls us. He woos us with the gospel. He speaks to us about His love. He tells us that although we are so ugly, He loves us and is committed to us to sanctify us and to make us beautiful. That's God. And God is now doing the very same thing He's calling husbands to do with their wives. That is the reason why he designed it in a marriage relationship. Because 
God, He's the lover of our relationship and we are the beloved of the Lord. And in the same way, husbands, you are the lover and your wife is the beloved. And she needs you to speak to her and to woo her and to set your love on her. You speak to her to make her beautiful, to build her up with your words. Why? Because that's how God designed love to work. You are the lover. She's the beloved. And you have this beautiful cascading waterfall of love. The father loves the son. The son loves the church. Now the husband loves his bride. And it's a picture of God's love for the church. It's so beautiful. Now look at the next part. Here's what's going to happen next part. She's going to narrate in the beginning and she's going to narrate at the end. And then in the middle, you're going to have this beautiful kind of a back and forth duet between the two. So let's look at verse 12 first. He says, While the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth its fragrance. This word nard is an erotic, rare fragrance and she knows that he likes the way she smells. Then look at verse 13. Now, he, she says, My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. Now, last week I told you that this is not the New Testament and the Old Testament. That's not what this is. Alright? And this is not Jesus lying between the New Testament and the Old Testament. She is saying, My man, he's so precious to me. I want him to lie with me in an intimate way. And then she used she says, she uses the word, my beloved. That's the Hebrew word, D-O-D, dot, which means passionate love, erotic love. She is saying, this is my erotic, passionate lover lying between my breasts. It's a very intimate thing. And then it gets, okay, it just gets a little bit hotter as you go down the line. So, and then she says, um, did I get that right? Okay. In, in, in verse, uh, from verse 14 to right into chapter 2, verse 1, she says, My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Enjadai. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful, your eyes are doves. She says then, Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. Our couch is green. The beams of our house are cedar. Our rafters are pine. You can just pick it up from here. For the woman, how the house looks like is important. The environment around her is important. You know, not just, not, 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 not just you, but what's attached with you in that context is important. And then she says in, in chapter 2, verse 1, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of valley. Something has changed in her heart. Now her esteem is so built up, she's able to say that she is a rose. And not just any rose, but a rose of Sharon. And she's a lily, not just any lily, but a lily of the valleys. She says, I'm not just like any other girl around, around me. I'm not just another flower. All of a sudden, her self-image is changing. How did it happen? It was shaped by the affirming words of her husband. And then he says in, in, in verse 2, he says, as a lily among brambles, brambles means wheat, so is my love among the young women. He says, you are a flower and the rest of the women compared are just weeds. That is in his eyes. And you can imagine what this does to her self-esteem. How it heals her on the inside that her, 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 her self-perception feeling of ugliness all melts away. And then in verse 3, she says this. 
as an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight, I sat in his shadow, and the fruit was sweet in my taste. When she says, I sat in his shadow, she's saying that I feel so safe with this man. I feel so secure with him. I'm delighted in him. I feel free. I feel like I can be myself. And then she comes to verse 4, which is a very famous verse that we often caught. Uh, we often, uh, that's verse 2. Where am I? Is this verse 4? You got there. Yeah, yeah, thank you. So in verse 4, Psalms 2 verse 4, it says, he, he brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. You have heard this before, right? Song of songs, banner over me was love. And we, we sing a song of that, of that, from that verse as well. When she says about banqueting table, she's talking about the house of wine. When she says his banner over me was love, she's saying, I feel protected. That the way you cover me, your love covers me. Your love protects me. The way you love me, unconditionally, accepting me for who I am, telling me, giving me these affirming words, your banner over me is love. And then in verse 5, now this is where it can make you blush. Because when it comes to verse 5, she says, Sustain me with raisins. Refresh me with apples. For I am sick with love. Remember, she doesn't say, I'm sick of love. There's something else. That saying, oh, I detest you. You know, I'm sick of love. She's saying, I'm sick with love. You know what she's, she's literally saying? I'm so exhausted with all our lovemaking. Hold on, honey. I need sustenance. Bring me some apples. Bring me some raisins. I need some food. And then you come to verse 6. And she says, his left hand is under my head and my right hand embraces me. And then she turns to the bridesmaids, to the girls, to the single girls, the single people in verse 7, and she tells them, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. And I'll explain this to you in a while, but it is also beautiful. Our people, let's now come to the lessons for us. What I want you to notice is that how did this happen? How did this girl move from feel, having a sense of low self-esteem, feeling ugly about herself, to saying that she is dark, comparing herself to the other girls you know, in, uh, in, 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 her, in her vicinity? How did she go from there to a place where now we see the most er one of the most ero literal erotic pictures uh, in the Bible of romantic love of a husband and a wife? How did that happen? How did she move from there to here where her esteem was healed and she was totally renewed? And I think there are two things that we need to pick from here. Number one is this. How is it that both are coming out together? That's fine. The first is um, a godly marriage should be a safe place for both the husband and the wife. Psalms 114 says, she says um, in verse 14, My beloved is to me a cluster, my beloved is to me a cluster of Hannah blossom in the vineyards of Angedi. Now, Angedi, why Angedi? 
Angedi was a place away from the bustling city. Angedi was a retreat. Angedi was a place where you go on vacation. It's something like Bintang or Langkawi. But sadly, we cannot go there because of the pandemic. But it is like one of those places of retreat. It is where you will go to get away from the stresses of life. And so what she's saying is that your love, your intimacy, that relationship of ours is a getaway for me. When I'm insecure, when I feel stressed up, when I'm anxious, when I suffer low self-esteem, when I have negative self-image issues, when things get hard, I run to you. People, wouldn't it be an honour and a privilege for you and me as husbands? You know that whenever our wives are, are insecure and when they feel stressed and when they have low self-esteem, that they will run to us instead of running away from us. That they will look for us. And she's saying, our, playful, our, our, our playfulness and our relationship and our romance and our intimacy is a reprieve for me. And when she feels insecure, she finds security in him. She feels safe with him. When, when she's given to self-doubt, when she has self-image problems and body issue problems, you know, she says that, I come to you and I feel, I feel safe, I feel secure. I feel like I am built up in your presence. Your words, they build me up. The intimacy is an oasis for me. She feels valued. She feels wanted. And one of the reasons why their sex is an oasis for her is because it's done in a safe and secure context of marriage. This is covenant marriage that's happening here. Uh, this, is, this is covenant love where they're committed to one another, not just their bodies. This is relational covenant, spiritual covenant, emotional covenant, a physical covenant. They are one. They are committed to being one. They are one body, but not just one body. They are one love and one name and one life together. So this is safe and secure because this is a covenant of marriage. Biblical marriage is a holy giving of, of, of yourself to one another and not just giving of your bodies. People, listen, how dangerous it is to give your body and not be able to give your whole self. That is not safe. But when, it, when, but when it is saved, then you can be free. And this is how God designed it. And that is the reason why in verse 7, you know, the, 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 the wife says to the single girls, I adjourn you, daughters of Jerusalem, don't stir up love. Don't awaken love before it's time. This is one of the themes that you will keep seeing coming again and again in the song, because it's really, really important. Sex is such a beautiful and wonderful big deal thing, people, and it's safe and secure only within marriage, not outside of marriage. Outside of marriage, it's a very dangerous thing. And over and over again, they are going to sing this song of not arousing or awakening love before it's time. And what's What's really interesting about the Bible and what's interesting about the song in particular is that when it's talking about avoiding premarital sex, it doesn't do the way that many of us growing up have experienced. It doesn't scare us into saying, don't have sex before marriage. You don't want to get pregnant, right? So don't. You know, you don't want to get STD. 
S-T-D, correct? Right? So don't. Now the song doesn't scare us into doing that. It doesn't do that. The song says, look at how beautiful this is. It says, how much pleasure there is in it. It's so wonderful, a thing. They, if you do it outside of the covenant relationship, it's unsafe, it's insecure. It will break you. It will damage you. It will confuse you. It will hurt you. So don't do it before it's time. So listen, single folks, you have heard this in church before and you are going to hear it again and again and again because it's a good thing to hear. Don't awaken love before it's time. That means no sex outside of marriage. In marriage, there's a lot of freedom, a lot of passion, but outside of marriage, there is zero freedom in regard to any sort of sexual activity. And if you have failed here and have broken this biblical command, then you just need to bring your brokenness to Jesus because He's always waiting to heal you. And let Him, let His grace and His forgiveness wash you and heal you and restore you and let the gospel rebuild you so that you can become ready for a safe and secure covenant relationship in marriage. The second thing that we learn is this. Words build up empower relationship. We have said enough of that, but there's some more things to say. And I'm closing with this. You know, some of you guys may wonder, you know what, you know, my wife and I, things have grown cold between us. I mean, it's like a romance of intimacy. Our sex life is not this reprieve, this Jedi. Could it be because of this second thing? Maybe your words don't build them anymore? You see, people, this couple, they dote on one another. They love one another. Their words are intentional to build one another up. There's a back and forth in the use of words to power the relationship. There's a sweetness, there's a tenderness. And we, we learn here that probably communication is the best foreplay. Right communication is when we're speaking and building one another up and affirming and encouraging one another. Now, when you start doing that, that's when you feel safe. That's when you feel secure. That's when you feel strong. And it brings a freedom into the marriage bed where there's this kind of reprieve and retreat away from the stresses and the burdens of life. People, this is not just true in marriage. If you are a parent, you've got to listen up. It is true in parenting too. You see, parents need to talk to their children. And oftentimes, because parents are overworked, communication is the one thing that children don't get enough of. Yet it is what precisely children need for healthy formation. Busy and distracted parents often reduce their communication, their conversation with their children to administrative statements like, have you done your homework? Hurry up now. Drink your water. Wear your shoes. Go to bed. You know, we reduce conversation to just that much. That's all the children hear from us. There is no deeper exchange. And people listen, without deeper exchanges, 
the human soul languishes, which, leads, which can lead to mental health issues in children. But when you ask after them, when you listen to them, you validate them as human beings. Every one of us needs to be talked to. If nobody talks to us, our soul will languish. And children need to be talked to, asked after, so that you know, they feel affirmed, so that their thoughts and emotions are affirmed, celebrated, or corrected, because they, nom, nom, they, they often say the wrong thing or think the wrong thing. This is a crucial process for mental well-being. That's when children feel safest and strongest, when they have parents who continually talk to them and ask after them. People, words matter. It is important parents are using words to build up their children. And in the same way, the Bible calls the church to use words to build one another up. The language in the New Testament is, is that our words are to edify. That means built up. That's when we are strongest and we feel the safest. In Proverbs, it says that a man without self-control is like a city without walls. He's not safe when he lacks self-control. And so when we don't build up one another in the church, when we don't build up one another in the marriage, or when we don't build our children up in parenting with words, there is no safety. Our, our walls aren't built up. We are like a city without walls. And so in the songs, his words built her up. So much so that she went from feeling ugly and insecure with low self-esteem to being completely free in the marriage bed because of his words. Finally, people, none of us standing before God are beautiful. All of us before God are not lovely. Sin has made us unlovely before God. But now the gospel, the good news of, of Jesus Christ comes to us and we hear God telling us that He loves us though we are unlovely. And that in our ugliness, that Christ would go to the cross and die in our place. And that He pursues us with His love. And those words are making us beautiful. So all throughout the Bible, you've got this beautiful work of God towards us who are nothing. We are not awesome at all. But He continues to make us awesome by His love and His grace for us. Like in Isaiah Chapter 16, verse 7, it says, I will beautify my house. Today, that house is the church. And God is committed to beautify His house. The gospel makes us beautiful. As the Lord tells us that He loves us, He says that He wants to continue to wash us with the, with the, with the water of, 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 of His Word, making us beautiful, sanctifying us for the sake of His name. And then one day, He will present us faultless before the presence of of, 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 of God's glory. This is amazing. This is God's word. This is how he communicates to us. Just like the husband to the wife saying, you are beautiful, my love. The whole message of the gospel is this love story of, the be of a beautiful God who saved us for himself, an unbeautiful bride, and makes her beautiful. In fact, Jesus comes, this beautiful God comes, perfect in every way, and he puts on flesh 
And the prophet Isaiah says that because he identified with our ugliness, that there was no form or majesty when we, when, that we should look at him. That there was no beauty that we should desire him. That Jesus would come in human form and took upon himself the weight of our sins and the ugliness of our broken humanity upon himself and die in our place. Why? So that he could make us beautiful. He invested so much in us. He took away all our sins. He wiped away all our ugliness so that we will become beautiful and lovely like Him. People, the gospel is a lovely love story. And right now, God's words and God's grace is being washed over us according to Ephesians. People, words matter. And in our relationship as husbands and wives, Words matter. In our relationship with our children, words matter. In our relationship with God, words matter. In our relationship with one another as a church, words matter. So stop getting lazy with words. One of the things Satan would do is to encourage you to get lazy with words. Don't give in to that. Replace those emojis with actual words. Expand your God bless you with actual words of blessing that built up. Today, go home to your spouse, to your children, to your friends, and use words to communicate, to build one another up. This is how people, we feel safe and we feel strong and we become mentally healthy and it deeply glorifies God. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Our dear Father, we come before you, Lord, this, this afternoon. Father, the, we rejoice, oh Father God, in your love for us. We are so thankful, Lord, that though we are, we've been broken by sin, made ugly by sin, oh Father God, that you pick us up, Lord, from our ugliness, and you make us beautiful by the work of your grace. And you continuously, Lord, use your word, the Bible, to shape us, to renew us, to build our esteem, Lord, to make us confident again in you. Father, for all of that, we are thankful. Father, for the way that you have loved us, for the way that you build us with words, we pray, O oh God, that you will release us to be a blessing to one another, especially to our spouses, to our children, to the fellow members of our church, to people everywhere. Give us the grace, O oh Lord, to use words to build them. Father, we thank you for the word today. May you use it, O oh Lord, for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast. You can find more of our sermons online on our website at www.agape.org.sg.